and welcome to A Living Mind. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is actor Jim Turner. Now, Jim's probably best known for portraying Kirby Carlisle on HBO's Arliss. He did that for all seven seasons. The show was great. He was very talented, very funny in it. We talk about some of the athletes that he worked with, some of the ones who can act, actually, and what unique item that he would get signed by some of the actors and athletes that started on that show and then he would keep doing throughout his career. It's pretty funny. Talk about the cult classic Joe's apartment, how he got involved in the business, and of course we talk Randy, made famous by those MTV commercials. We talk about his appearance at Woodstock Night Before, which was fantastic, and what he's up to these days. Jim, really talented guy, really funny guy, and a nice guy. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with him. So, Jim, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely, pleasure to be here. Yeah. So what have you been doing for the past, like, I would say year, 18 months, you know, with the world's on its, you know, on its ass. And so how are you been keeping busy? Um, <clears throat> well, the last year and a half was, I, I, I've been mostly involved with political stuff. Um, and in 2000, when was it? Six, no, 2018. 2016 was a big shock to my system. And then yeah. 2018, uh, I was asked to help out with a benefit for Katie Hill. Right. Who, uh, who was eventually, you know, resigned. But I got involved with that and I met her and she was great. And, and, the people that I sort of dragged into it, uh, we started doing lots of political benefits, live benefits. Yeah. And we have a group called Swing Left Los Feliz that has raised more money than, than any other swing left group in the, in the country by far. And um, it, the whole year, once the pandemic hit in March, that's when it hit me. I actually had a scare the first week of March, um, where I thought I probably got it. Uh, I, I, I was in Arizona registering voters the first week of March. And then at night going to, and it was, and you know, it was just hitting. It was just, oh, there's some cases here. There's some cases here. Mm, we should start rethinking everything. And I'm out there registering voters. And then at night going to spring training games. Okay. Which, there was no, it was 10,000 people packed, right. no masks. We know what he was doing, masks or anything yet. And then I got a call from a, my aunt saying, you know, you, you should maybe come back to Des Moines real quick. Your mom's not doing great. And so I flew home to see my mom and really to give her a little kick in the butt going, come on, right. come on, mom. She just had this surgery. She was 87. She had cancer surgery months before and everybody kind of thought she was dragging her feet to get well, but that wasn't the case. She was in really bad shape. And uh, when I came in, it was like, Oh, Oh, where'd my mom go? She was this teeny, teeny little thing. And that was Saturday, a Saturday. And then on Sunday she died. And my my brother and my sister all we all got there spent the whole day sunday with her and then i think she she just said 
this is not what I want to do, live in an assisted living home, right? not seeing my friends, not, you know, just fuck this, I'm out of here. And, uh, and passed away Sunday night. And then I flew home on another packed plane, spent two hours on a packed Denver airport, another packed plane to Burbank. And a couple days after that, I woke up with a sore throat and I called my doctor and I said, I got a sore throat. I can still smell stuff and taste stuff. He goes, well, if you get a sore throat, I mean, if you get a fever, let me know. Yeah. And two days later, I got a fever. So now I quarantined in my house. Um, I was in a room all by myself. My wife would bring me meals and put them in, just inside the door. Right. And it took me forever to get a test. Uh, there were no tests. And I drove down to Fullerton, which is about an hour and a half away from me, because somebody said the, the emergency room at the, I think it was the children's hospital, would, would give me a test. Mm-hmm. And I went down there and they were building tents in the parking lot. This is like the second week of March. Right. I'm going, wow, they're building tents. Huh, that's serious. And I sat there for a couple hours, got in. They never gave me a test. They said, the only way you can get a test is you've, if you'd crawled in here. That's how you would get a test. If we have to put you in the hospital, we'll test you. Otherwise, forget it. And it took another like 10 days for me to get a test. And, um, and it was negative. Okay, good. But uh, it was it was scary because there's a bunch of people in my house and I didn't want to be, be spreading it and yeah. blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then I just did, I really did just political stuff all year. We, we, we did several big Zoom benefits. Uh, we got involved in Iowa and did a benefit for Democratic candidates there, did a lot of, and then with Georgia, my group uh, hired we raised $350,000. Wow, that's great. It's a bunch of people like me. We raised $350,000 uh, to register voters and stuff. And we had these coffee and donut trucks that would drive around registering voters. And the thing that's happening with the Georgia where you can't bring water to what, people I know. standing in line, that, that has a lot to do with what we were doing. Um, we got contacted by the secretary of state going, no, 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 what you're doing is wrong. We had to hire lawyers, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I just, I took the year off from the usual stuff I do, right. uh, comedy stuff, <clears throat> did a few things. There was a benefit for, uh, th- th- there's a, a group. The, the, the family that started the Magic Castle, the Larson family, okay. <clears throat> um, have a theater in their backyard. <clears throat> and they call it Brooklyn, Brooklyn Follies. And they do f- free shows there. And it's the weirdest thing in the world. It's mm-hmm. like this little 50 seat theater, proscenium, arch, lights, sound, everything. And uh, I've done shows there for about eight years. And the woman who, who runs Brooklyn wanted to do a, a benefit for variety arts performers, you know, hula hoopers, right. jugglers, magicians, yeah. all those people that 
depend on live shows to, right, right. to make money. And so we did a big benefit for them. And we got uh, Neil Patrick Harris was in it okay. and Paul Rubens, <clears throat> Puddle's Pity Party, uh, Dick Van Dyke oh, wow. did a thing for us. In fact, he was the, the ending of it. Um, and it was just, it was great. And so me and uh, I have another comedy troupe called Two-Headed Dog. Okay. And it's uh, mainly me and this guy, Mark Fight, but also Dave Gruber Allen, who you might know from Freaks and Geeks. That's right. Um, long gray hair, gray beard. And uh, this guy, Craig Anton. But Mark and I were the kind of hosts of the, the, the benefit. It was fun to do that, though I was very rusty, I have to say. When we got out and started doing stuff, I went, oh, man, do I know how to do this? I don't think I do. <clears throat> how long did it take you to kind of get back into the form, shake off the rest? Pretty quick, yeah. because our, it, <laughs> our thing isn't real uh, slick. Um, um, the, our, our, the motto of two-headed dog is who's going to clean up the mess hmm. and um, every show that we ever did was unlike every other show we hmm. ever did even right. though we did the same bits over and over and over there was always something there was always something and it, it's not like improv where we take suggestions but it's improv where I'd say a third of the show is being made up on the on the fly okay because of something uh, we did a show at Largo one night and the set, we had a little set with a curtain hanging so that we could change clothes behind it. And it was set up on, you know, uh, mic stands, fell on us. Ooh. The whole set fell down on top of us during the show. I went, this is perfect. This is us. Yeah. That's so, funny. yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, I don't want to get too like political here, but you mentioned Katie Hill and then, you know, like Al Franken. Why is it like Democratic, you know, Congress people like are so quick to resign? Whereas like the Republicans are the ones who are defiant and they stay in office. Look at Matt Gaetz. I mean, it's like you, you lost really good two politicians and then you have the drugs of society still having jobs. Yeah. Why, Matt why, do you think that's Matt Gates. why hasn't Matt Gates resigned? Yeah, because they never will. They never will. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't get it. We're, we, we're held to and hold ourselves to Democrats, a yeah. different standard. And honest to God, it's a higher standard. And Katie Hill, you know, Pelosi asked her not to resign. Right. And she said, no, I'm going to become I'm going to become a focus for them. They're gonna they're gonna key on me, right? And um, and they, they would have, and you know Al Franken, why? But whatever. Yeah. Um, no, it's just like you just have I, to keep big. Yeah, I mean, I look at it and like just seeing some of these clowns like on social media, and I'm like, there's only like 400 plus of these jobs, and this is the best we can do. It's just, yeah, it's mind boggling. You know, it's like I could talk to my son who's about to, you know, go to college in a year. I'm like, you can do anything you want, just don't be a politician, you know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, so you mentioned like, you know, your comedy troupe and everything like that. What gave you the acting bug? 
Oh man, um, I, accidents. Right. Um, when I was in high school, um, well, I was always the class clown. Right. I moved around constantly. I lived in 10, 10 different houses in, in three different states and two different countries by the time I was 10 years old. We were always moving. My dad was in the service and then he was in radio. And we were just always moving from one town to another. Uh, Colorado Springs, Hull, Canada, Yuma, Arizona, Ames, Iowa, Esterville, Iowa, Spencer, Iowa, Emmitsburg, Iowa, Iowa City, Iowa. Always moving, moving, moving. And I just naturally, you're, you're, you're I don't know, trying to do something so people don't beat you up from place to place. And I, I was funny and I knew I could be funny. And um, I never thought anything about it. This like late 60s, early 70s. Uh, I wasn't, wasn't planning on being a comedian, wasn't planning on being an actor. I didn't know what I wanted to do. But in, uh, in high school, I, I dropped the class that I was taking and started taking a uh, theater class only to fill the hour because I already had two study halls. Right. And I, couldn't have, I couldn't have three study halls because yeah. I wouldn't graduate. Right. Um, <clears throat> so I took a theater class and the teacher, <clears throat> excuse me, was this young hip guy that had started there that year had hair down to here. And it was 1970, had long hair. And just the way he carried himself through the halls, everybody noticed this guy. He was sort of arrogant. Um, we became really good friends. And uh, uh, I took his class and he would say to me every day at his class, so Friday, next Friday, here are the tryouts for Medea. We're doing Medea here. And I went, oh no, 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 I'm not, I'm not auditioning for a yeah. play. I'm not gonna be in your play. I'm taking this class, that's it. Okay, well, I'll see you Friday. No, 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 no. <laughs> and the next day at the class would end and he'd go, I will see you next Friday. And every day I was going, forget it, Mr. Putin's, I'm not doing this. And then Friday came and I thought, oh God, if I don't do this, I'm gonna have to argue with him about it. I'll go do it and that'll be that. You'll see, there's no reason for me to be an actor. And he cast me, he cast me as Creon the King in Medea who banishes Medea from the kingdom. And I went, oh, fuck. I don't, I don't have any idea how to do any of this. And, um, but it was sort of fun. And I met a couple of people. This was my senior year of high school. <clears throat> met a couple people that I really wouldn't have known and we started hanging out and then another play came up and okay I'll audition for it and I was in all the plays that year but then you know once I left that was it um, <clears throat> years later I was going to University of Iowa again no plans to right. do anything in theater and a friend of mine signed me up to audition for Man is Man, uh, Bertolt Brecht Bay. And she called me up and told me, I said, what are you doing? Well, I, I don't wanna do this. Oh my God, why would you sign me up? That's not, oh, I was so pissed at her. But I went 
<clears throat> it was in the middle of winter and I had the flu when I went to the audition. So I was wearing a big parka. This is in Iowa City, big parka. And I didn't take my parka off. I came in the room, I kept my parka on. And the director said, so uh, what are you reading? And everybody's look in the room was looking at me like, who the fuck is this? You don't take your coat off. Right. Um, he said, what are you reading? And I said, what do you mean? And he said, for your audition, what are you reading? And I said, oh, I didn't, I, was I supposed to prepare something? And he said, uh, yes. And he gave Kathy a look like, come on, really? Hmm. And I said, oh, I didn't know that. And he goes, okay, what, uh, what are you reading? And I, at the time I was reading this book, Last Exit to Brooklyn by Hubert Selby. That's really, there's so many sordid things in Last Exit to Brooklyn. It's really down and dirty shit. And he goes, dig it out. And I got it out of my backpack. He said, just open it to a page. I opened it and he goes, read. And I just read from the book. And I thought, this is great. I'm not right. getting this. I don't want this part. I don't want anything to do with this. Um, but I read, and it was this really sordid scene of, of somebody being gang raped. And then I got a call. You're being cast. And I had one of the large, larger of the male parts in it. Uh, the actor Terry O'Quinn, okay, who back yeah. then was was just Terry Quinn, um, was Gailey Gay, who's the lead in, in Man is Man. And I was one of the other guys in the uh, army guys. And I did it and during it, yeah, I, I, was, I had fun, it was really fun. And two of the guys, the director and one of the actors asked me if I wanted to do a, a show with them in a bar. And um, this guy, Merle Kessler, worked in a bar and they had a little stage and it was called the Boulevard Room in Iowa City. And um, he asked the manager, can we do a show? And I said, sure. Yeah, what the heck? This was in February, 1975. And they asked me if I wanted to be in it. And we did this show called Cliff Notes Hamlet, which was Dr. Clifford Note who does cliff notes was always getting you know uh, uh getting shit from people about destroying the classics so he wanted to mount a version and there there is somebody now doing a a cliff notes hamlet too but we were the first right 1975 um we did this thing and and it was mostly improv but we made up these little scenes and it was when I was on stage doing that, being goofy on stage with a sort of loose idea of a character and just making people laugh. I, 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 can, I can remember now physically what that felt like. Right. And it was like, oh my God, this feels right. I'm, I'm home. I just discovered something about myself. And then after that, they asked us to do another show. Uh, the Boulevard Room said, oh, my God, packed. It was absolutely packed. Freezing night in February in Iowa City. And people couldn't get in. There were people stand with the, you know, looking like this through the windows. 
And when can you do another show? And one of the guys said, oh yeah, we've got another show. It's called Frank Iowa's Magic Notebook. And a month later we did Frank Iowa's Magic Notebook. And then another bar said, hey, would you come do one of your shows at our place? And so we did. And then we started writing shows like crazy. And we would write these half hour long plays, which is what we were really good at. And then we started writing short bits, okay. um, but we wrote 14 or 15 half hour plays. Finally, another bar, Gabe and Walker's in Iowa City, the famous Gabe's um, hired us to come in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. So we did a show every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And every two weeks we would put on a completely different show with two new, two brand new half hour shows and a half hour of, of short bits. And they wanted to charge money, which we were furious about. We said, no, no, we do free shows. We were gonna charge 50 cents. That's what he wanted to charge, 50 okay. cents. And we negotiated with them to have 10 cent beers. So you could come in for $1 and have, you could have five beers and see four, three hours of comedy because right. we would do the short bits to start then we'd do a long show then we'd do the other long show and then we would do the short set again um and we did that for uh, almost a year and then it, the, the amount of material that we were having to come up with was just killing us and so we said we should move to a bigger city and we talked about new york talked about la uh, talked about Pittsburgh because there was a guy <clears throat> who said he'd he'd uh, set us up in a place in Pittsburgh, and I had been to San Francisco, and I said, "Man, the, there's kind of this like lame comedy stuff going on. I think we'd kill." And the comedy scene hadn't really hit, you know, the, all the stand-up stuff. Uh, Robin Williams and all those guys came later, um, and we moved to. Uh, San Francisco in 1976. And we thought we were going to be famous like in a month or so. Right. Like it was going to be really hard for that first month. <laughs> it took years. <laughs> it took years. And we all lived in the, <clears throat> a variety of <clears throat> big houses all together. Uh, we brought a manager. We brought a guy who wrote a newspaper article about us. And it was really good, really in depth. He, he kept coming back. We asked him if he wanted to be our manager. He had no managerial experience, right. but uh, he moved with us. And um, he, he used to be the editor of the Daily Iowan newspaper. And, um, <clears throat> and yeah, then we just did that for a, a long time. During that, I did this character, Randy. Right that was, that later became sort of a calling card for me and, and probably my most long living and famous character. Um, when we were in Iowa City, I did a, uh, we did a benefit for a friend that had to have his teeth operated on, he didn't have money. So we did a big benefit for him. So we didn't do Dutch breath stuff, but we did solo pieces. And they said, Jim, you want to do something? I said, yeah, yeah, I'll do a thing called Jim Turner Sings Nine Songs. And I honestly thought 
that if I just went up on stage with a guitar and I didn't know how to play the guitar, not right. at all. I thought if I go up with a guitar and I tune it for a second and I'll just start, something will happen. And I didn't know what, but I knew yeah. something would happen. And I went up and thinking I was going to come up with genius comedy based on absolutely nothing. Right. And nothing happened. <laughs> it was miserable. And I, I made some kind of jokes while I and pretended to tune the guitar. I tried to say, and I kept waiting for this magic to happen yeah. in my head. And then I would share it with the people and nothing, nothing happened. And eventually I just got up and left. Right. And so then, and I went, Oh, that, that sucked. Jim, try to have something to do years. A year later, we're in San Francisco and we're writing new material. And Merle said to me, Hey, how about that guy? Remember when you did the songs um, in Iowa city? I said, yeah, it was horrible. He goes, oh no, it was really funny. But do, you could do a guy like that, you know? I said, the, it's horrible. He goes, no, no, you should do it. So I kind of had it in the back of my head. Wow, what did he see in that that I didn't see? I don't get it. And one night we were performing with uh, The Fish, Barry Melton, The Fish was our opening act okay. in a little pizza place in Mill Valley called the Resh House where there were, you didn't sit in chairs, you sat on the floor on cushions and the tables were all, you know, a foot and a half off the right. ground. And then they brought the pizza and you, you would lay on cushions like this and, and people would fall asleep because you're <laughs> laying down eating pizza and drinking beer. Right. So we did a lot of shows there and we liked it. And Barry Melton, he, either he was opening for us or we opened for him. And I don't, and you know, people say, Country Joe and the Fish, Barry Melton is the fish. It's not a band, the fish. It's Barry Melton is the fish. And he was really stoned or acting like he was stoned. He had really wild hair and he ended up standing on a chair, which made him tower above everybody. And when he stood on the chair, his head was up kind of in the lights like, you know, partially blocked by the lights. And he was just doing this stuff. And I went, oh my God, this is so great. This is my guy. That's the guy I'm going to do. That's, I'll be him. <clears throat> and I didn't have the name Randy, but one of my best friends in high school or in grade school was Randy Booth. And Randy always just was said and did weird shit all the yeah. time. And he cracked me up and I thought, I'll call this guy Randy after Randy Booth. And then I went out and then I would just, I had a couple things that I would do, tuning jokes and, and, and I just developed enough of an act that I could do a couple minutes and then stuff happened. And now that I had the character, things would happen during it and I would add something else. I'd add a little bit. And then one time I said, oh, that's Randy. I, I just bicycled through Northern California and the Eel River. And I said, uh, my name's Randy. That's with two E's like the river. And then that stuck, Randy. And it grew and grew and grew until the bit was, I would just do it until 
I was while I got laughs and right. it got to be almost 30 minutes long. And there's five guys in Duck's Breath. And finally, one of the guys said, so Jim, um, maybe not, uh, maybe cut Randy down a little bit. I said, but it's killing. It's getting yeah. great big laughs. He goes, I, I know, but there's, there's five of us. And we're kind of, uh -huh. you know, it's kind of right. a group effort. Oh, you're right. So I cut it down. And then MTV came to see it. There was a guy at MTV, David Felton, who was a guy from Rolling Stone. Uh, he was a writer at Rolling Stone and he wrote all of the comedy stuff at Rolling Stone. Um, the stuff on Richard Pryor, uh, Lily Tomlin, um, and all the weird cult stuff. He wrote a big article about the Manson family, a two-part thing about the Manson family, right when they were like arrested. Right. real early on and and he became that guy writing the weird stuff and and he came to see us and was a big fan and then when he moved to mtv uh he brought a whole bunch of young kids from mtv to see our show at the bottom line and one of the guys said this is 1986 now um called me up and said hey that guy randy you want to do some stuff on MTV with him? Um, and so in 1987, Randy was the unofficial host of the Summer of Love, 20th anniversary of the Summer of Love. Okay. And we shot like 20 spots, 20 little short spots and made a music video in two days. Drove all around New York, just jumping out, doing these things. And um, so in 1987, they they ran them constantly, like constantly. And at the end of the summer, the, the two of the vice presidents, Doug Herzog and Judy McGrath called me and said, hey, you wanna run Randy for president in 1988? Yeah. And I went, oh, wow. And I, I also, in 1980, I did a, another fake uh, presidential campaign where I was Zippy the Pinhead. I don't know if you remember <laughs> Zippy the Pinhead, a cartoon. Right. Um, and the guy who draws Zippy, I, I, I had called him up and said, can I do a live Zippy? And we wrote a thing together that there was a duck breath bit. And then in 19, and that was 79. And then in 80, he wanted to run him for president and asked me to you know, make appearances as Zippy. So I, I ran for president twice. Yeah, the, yeah, the uh, Randy bits were great. Uh, it's when ESPN, um, ESPN um, MTV was watchable, you know, because now you, know, oh. you can't watch it, and it was it was all over the place, you know, music and and, and everything. But you did like even after like that bit, you you came back after a couple of years and did Woodstock, I think, right? You were at Woodstock, yeah, ninety four, and you did a big bit there too as well. Yeah, we did a bunch of stuff at Woodstock, well, which was really interesting. Um, they they quit doing Randy in '89. There was right. a there was going to be a movie, and we were talking to New Line, and we okay. met with New Line, and several times. And in the end, New Line wanted to own own the character, and it wasn't like they were giving me millions of dollars. I was going to make 
nice thing, but they would own the character. And I said, what, do you, what does that mean, they own the character? Could you, could you stop me from doing it live? Well, I mean, technically, yes, but we, we wouldn't do that. Yeah. I said, could you, could you replace me as Randy in the movie? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we, why would we want to do that? Right. I'm just saying, yeah. why is this in the contract that, that I, you could replace me? I, I don't get that. And I went, you know what? I, I don't want to do this. I, I, I don't want to take the chance that I'd get fired, fired as Randy. Yeah. Um, but after that, then there was sort of less interest in doing Randy. Yeah. And so they stopped doing them. I moved to, to LA and um and I did a couple other things on MTV. You know, they they liked me, so they had me do other characters. Uh, I did this character Grudge Hanson, and that kind of kept me around, but not doing Randy stuff anymore. Right. Then years later, uh, ninety four, it was the twenty fifth anniversary of of Woodstock. Um, they called up and said, "Hey, we we want to do some Randy stuff at Woodstock." Oh, great. So they flew me back and we shot a bit where I'm walking down the street, a businessman is walking down the street, an old businessman with shaggy face and a super inning. And something happens in the sky. I can't remember exactly what happened. Something happens and he looks up and, and his face starts melting and, and it's Randy. Randy's right. now a businessman, but then all right. And it becomes Randy again. And then it said something like, look for Randy at MTV at, at, at Woodstock. So we went to Woodstock and drove up there the day before it opened. And there's huge grounds and they gave us golf carts and we were driving all around doing little, little bits without people. Right. And then we drove down at 6 p.m. They opened the gates. And we wanted to be there when they opened the gates and Randy greeting people as they came in. And so we parked by a gate and I'm standing there. They open the gates, people start coming in and people were screaming, oh my God, oh my God, dude, it's Randy. Dude, it's Randy, holy shit. People were dropping stuff, running over to me. Right. Dozens of people running over, shaking my hand, going, oh, my God, I come to Woodstock. Randy's there to greet me. That's so cool. <laughs> we're filming this. And I went, oh, I, I didn't expect that. Right. We went back to our hotel. And the next morning we came in, got dressed up as Randy again, backstage. And everywhere I went out in the crowd, I, I couldn't go more than two feet into the crowd. We, we wanted to do an interview with Todd Rundgren and we came out of the gate, one of these side gates and we got into the crowd and everybody completely surrounded us and people are touching me and, and you know, going, oh my God, it's Randy and Randy and not really paying any attention to Todd Rundgren who right. I don't think had any idea who I was <laughs> and he was looking around going, what, yeah. what is going on here? And we couldn't do the interview with him because it, people just yelling yeah. and screaming and touching me. So we continued to shoot stuff backstage and then MTV had a uh, stage. And so when you look at old pictures of the Woodstock 94, there's the main stage. And then I think Apple had a stage and then the MTV stage. And they, 
set it up so that anybody they interviewed, you saw the crowd in the background. And what we did is we set a microphone up and shot over my shoulder as if I'm standing on the main stage at Woodstock. Smart. And nobody can hear what I'm saying. The microphone isn't, is, isn't for them. It's just right. record me. And I went over and said, hey, everybody, blah, blah, blah. And when I walked up to this microphone, the crowd, a bunch of people in the crowd started going, Randy, Randy, Randy. <laughs> and people would turn. And then suddenly thousands of people yeah. were going, Randy, Randy. <laughs> And I turned to the guy that, you know, brought MTV to uh, this guy, John Payson, who was directing all this stuff. And I went, John, what the fuck is going on? What is this? He goes, I don't know. It's great, though. Um, so that was really cool. That was like, huh, this could have been something if we'd kept doing it. Was there like after that renewed interest in like doing more Randy stuff after Woodstock? Not really, I think. I, I don't know if there was bad blood about the movie declining the movie. Right. Um, yeah. I but know. I continue to do it, you know. Right. Um, I, I've, I've done it. I, I trot him out every now and then. It's still fun. It's still like yeah. the, one of the funner characters that I do. Right. And if anyone wants to watch, most of the spots are on YouTube. They're, they're, they're really funny. Uh, but like MTV also, they did like little vignettes of Joe's apartment before yeah. they actually made it a movie. And I guess before Roland shit, there was Walter shit. So yeah, uh, yeah so that what was that like, that movie? Uh, really I love fun. that. It's called Classic. John, it, it was a big bomb, unfortunately. It was. At the box office. Um, though it seems to be doing well in in, you know, People discover it. It's, it's really great. It's yeah. really funny and so weird. These singing cockroaches that are right. real cockroaches. Uh, John Payson, who was the guy who directed all the Randy stuff at MTV, um, came up with this idea of you know these roaches singing, and he made a short, Joe's Apartment, right. and then it was a big hit. People loved it, and uh, I think it was Geffen. Um, hired him to to do the movie so he wrote the movie and he wrote me this part walter shit to be an east village performance artist and then then they didn't want to cast me so okay. i had to go audition for it um to like warner brothers and geffen um but i got it and i just had this idea to to i said to the hair guy what if every time you see me I have a completely different hairstyle. Like I'm not really a, a good performance artist. I'm I'm a I'm a dilettante. I'm really kind of a phony, and um, which John liked a lot. And so whatever every time you see me, I have a different hairdo. Like one time it's Elvis, one time it's just like dirty, grungy. Uh, another time my hair sticks straight out, and that's with Paul Bartel, who played a NEA person in the movie and um i'm wearing a dress in this picture and they painted a an american flag on my ass an american flag painted on my ass and i did this i did this performance and this is one where where joe is playing the drums and i convince him to do the drums
that was mainly the, the, the deal with him is it had all these different hairdos and, um, oh, and I was doing this performance with, with Jerry O'Connell, Joe playing the drums and he can't play the drums right. And I'm, I abuse him. I, I laugh at him and, and the NEA spokesperson is there and I abuse him. Right. And, uh, and I do this poem called, we all, we all killed Karen Carpenter. And, um, and then at the end, I turn around and flip my dress up and flash everybody the American flag on my ass. <laughs> I, think, I think that might have been cut from the movie. They cut a lot of stuff out of the movie. Uh, but it was really fun to do. Right. And there was a, I, I had a, we were shot in New York City. We shot in the Lower East Side. And, you know, we had these trailers everywhere. And, I shared a trailer, a little two banger trailer that's with two compartments in it with Robert Vaughn. That's right. Yeah. The man from Uncle. Yep. And he was in the movie. He played a bad guy in the movie. Yeah, he's like a and uh, I, I just kept thinking when I was doing that, if I could go back to junior high right. and go, hey, hey, all you assholes, make fun of me, <laughs> treat me like shit. I'm going to be when in many many years. I'm going to be sharing a trailer, a, pro, a production trailer, right. with with the man from Uncle. Uncle. You dipshits. Yeah. So fuck you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean that that was as big as anything. Man from Uncle. Uh, that was huge. Um, and I really was. I was really excited to yeah. share a trailer with him, and he was right. a super great guy. Oh, that's good. And. Uh, one day, Jerry and I, Joe, uh, went and had lunch, and we're walking back. And I always had to walk around when we, we had lunch. What they did is they gave us money to go get lunch somewhere instead of serving lunch to the okay. whole crew. Um, and we went and had lunch, and we're walking back. And all of a sudden, we hear this voice going, hey, you got a dime? Hey, give me a dime, you. Hey, fuckers, give me a dime. I need a dime. And I just kind of like, okay, let's just ignore yeah. this. And I kept walking. And then you could hear footsteps. And this guy going, hey, give me a dime. Give me a dime, you shits. And we turned. It was Robert Vaughn. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Were you still were you all in your costume when you were going for lunch or no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, Because yeah. I, I had to, you know, whatever my the hairdo hair was that right. day, that was my hairdo that day. Um, so when being we in shot New York, the thing, so being in New York, New York, it wasn't a bit up wasn't yeah. a big deal, which you weren't noticing right. a normal person in New York. <laughs> uh, there's that guy. Yeah, exactly. Um, when, when we shot the, uh, the big performance of uh, Walter Shit doing it for the NEA spokesperson that, that uh, Joe played drums behind, um, it was pouring rain. And we right. shot it at this place, Gusto House, which was a East Village performance place. And um, I was in there. And the, the, the all the guys that, you know, the, the transportation guys and the guys that, you know, clean up the trailers yeah. always kind of treated me like I was a weirdo. Um, and I went in and shot the thing. And then I was going back to my trailer and it's pouring rain and I'm carrying an umbrella. And as I walk past these guys, they go, and because I'm wearing a dress, right. they go, Hey, sweetie. And I turned and looked at them and said, I'm sorry. And they go, Hey there, sweetie. And I go, Oh, you ain't seen nothing. 
and I turned around and right. flipped my dress up and flapped the American flag of my ass. The next day, all day long, all these guys were like completely in love with me. It's right. like, hey, you need anything? Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> that that wowed them. Right. As long as you embrace it, right? <laughs> they'll, yeah. They'll, you'll win them over. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So how did um, how did Arliss come around? Um, I moved here to LA um, after after I did Joe's apartment. My hair had been they dyed my hair black, but right. kept the roots blonde. So then they wanted it back to blonde for the end when there's a scene where me and Peppa, Salt and Peppa, Peppa. Uh, become a couple and we drive up in a minivan. We become like the most, you know, just New Jersey couple. Right. And they wanted my hair back to blonde. And when they dyed it again, first of all, they just stripped the black out and then dyed it, but it got dyed red, like Raggedy Ann red, mm -hmm. bright red. And John, the director said, whoa what's this and yeah well there's red tones in his hair he said but it's not red that's red and they had to strip the red out of my hair <clears throat> and dye it blonde <clears throat> so at this point my hair is just dead it's just a weird weird hair and it's kind of this gold color right a strange color that isn't found in hair and um, I kept it, uh, and it was long too. So I kept the hair, and I didn't know what I, what I was going to do with it. But I got an audition for a, a TV show called um, "If Not for You." That's right. And um, it starred Hank Azaria and Elizabeth McGovern. And I got a part as an engineer in the like it. They, they, it was all took place in a sound studio, recording studio. And I <clears throat> got this job as this weird guy. It was just not comfortable. And I went into audition for another part. And they said, hey, could you read this, this part? And I hadn't read it yet. So I went out in the hall and I read it. And I went, oh my God, this is Randy. That's what this is. This is Randy, 100%. So I went in and I just did Randy doing that guy. And I knew, it's one of the only times I did an audition where I knew you're not going to see this from anybody else. I'm going right. to kill this. And I did. I killed it. They brought me <clears throat> to the network. And <clears throat> I got the part. And I still had this hair. And I said at the audition, the network audition, don't worry. I'm going to be, I'm going to be cutting my hair. Um, by the time I got home, 20 minutes later, I'd gotten a call saying, you got the part. Don't touch the hair and so we did that for oh seven episodes and then we got canceled unfortunately and it was a great man it was it was a good show really funny really funny thing funny cast uh deborah joe rupp was in it yeah um, peter krause was in it Julia Sweeney was in it for a while, but she, I think, got canned because she wasn't pretty enough. Sandra uh, O. <clears throat> hmm? Sandra O. I think was in a couple episodes. Sandra O. was in two episodes. Yeah, um, yeah. And um, she had just moved to town. 
and they cast her as one of one of uh, Elizabeth McGovern's best friends. Right. Um, and so when they canceled that, then there was a couple months, and the same casting directors brought me in for Arliss. And Robert Wool says he always uh, wanted me for this part. But I don't know if that's true or not. <laughs> Maybe. Um, and I went in and read for for that, and and got it. And we, you know, shot the pilot, and, and um, never thought it was going to go. I don't know why, right. but it did, and it turned out. And then Sandra, when I went to the like the network audition, Sandra was there, and I said, "Oh, wow, yeah. are we going to be on the same show again?" <clears throat> and we became very good friends too. Yeah, that show it was it was like one of the I guess for that and maybe Dream On it was like first and ten the OJ Simpson show, but I think it was like those couple of shows were really that got HBO going with their original programming. Yeah, I mean we were there before Sex in the City, so uh, yeah, yeah, that was seven great years, and uh, we we were on the you know every year they were going to cancel us. Right. Every single year, and always at the last minute, this guy Chris Albrecht would pick us up. Um, we just didn't get the, I think the kind of critical praise that uh, the other shows did, Sopranos yeah. and Sex in the City. They got critical praise, which we did not, though we were there before them. Right, but I'm sure the fan support was great, you know, because between you know having the athletes on and you know just being a great oh. comedy show, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was worlds. a it was a big thing with athletes. Yeah. Athletes love being on the show, um, and almost always pretty successfully. Uh, some interesting acting styles. Right. Uh, some people were like really geared up to do it, yeah. and then when, okay, rolling, it was just like mm, they would just struggle yeah. with the lines and the Roy Jones Jr. Uh, the boxer was on twice and once uh, as a character because he was so good. He was right. unbelievably good. And they brought him back as a, and wrote him apart as a character. I, I had Robert on like two years ago and he mentioned uh -huh. how, yeah, how Roy was like great, how he was, yeah. you know, he was just a natural at it. Who was your like favorite guy to work with? Like can you treat like the athletes, like actors or are you like kind of like in awe with them when you do a scene with one of them uh different um right. you know it was it was great having them on you know and and uh i grew up in a sporting family my dad owned a sporting goods store and was the, okay. was, the was the did play-by-play -play basketball and football for right. uh, Iowa State University for the Iowa State Cyclones. Okay. And um, my grandparents were both gym teachers. So I grew up in a sort of sporting family. Right. My dad owned a sporting goods store too. Um, so I, I knew a lot of these people uh, yeah. and uh, greatly admired them. Um, <clears throat> but then you're doing the scene and you just got to do the scene. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I don't like, know who my favorite was. I think right. Brett Favre um, 
the, the thing we did with Brett Favre was I had in the, the, my character Kirby had kind of sold um, a rich, a rich guy, a rich Arab time with his son, with Brett Favre to <laughs> help him. And Brett Favre thought he was going there to help kids. You know, it's like, I'm doing a thing for kids, teach him how to, but it wasn't. I was getting paid a lot of money to get this guy a personal yeah. training session with Brett Favre. And then he discovers it. When Brett discovers it, he throws a football across the yard and hits me in the nuts. <clears throat> now, if you've ever seen Brett Favre throw a football, yeah, it's he, he just throws this rocket. And people were playing catch with him. I played catch with him. I couldn't right. catch the ball. It came in so hard and oh, fast. Right. The crew would go, okay, me, 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 me. Let me see if I can catch it. <laughs> um, people just couldn't catch the ball. Yeah. And I said, you guys, I know you've got a, you've got a cup for me to wear. I'm not going to stand here and have Brett Favre throw a football at my nuts. No matter what I'm wearing, right. it's going to, it's going to kill me. Yeah. And I convinced him to do something else. And um, so I had this cup and everybody always got athletes to sign stuff. And I never did. Everybody was did football, a basketball okay. and they, you know, and they'd stand there at the end and, end of their shooting and sign stuff yeah. and I didn't ever do that and I was leaving that day and I looked at the cup in my dressing room and I went oh oh yeah, yeah. and I went over and said Brett could you sign this and he signed my cup plastic cup and then right. I started collecting them and everybody that was on I would get I bought cups by the by the case uh by the you know big box full and um I got like almost a hundred, um, Jim Brown, Bill Bradley, Katarina Vitt, right. Oksana Bayul, Tanya Harding, right. um, huge collection of, of cups, yeah. uh, James Worthy. Then when I did the movie Bewitched, I had Nora Ephron and Will Ferrell mm -hmm. and Nicole right. Kidman sign them. Did anyone like look at you like, why am I signing a cup? Yeah. Of all things, yeah. 95% of the time. <laughs> Nora, especially thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Right. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> That's really good. Now I remember like one of my favorite Kirby scenes was when you were kind of vouching for Stanley. Uh, like, I don't know what, what he was trying to get, but it was like a boardroom and you were going oh, down yeah. the line, like you know, in introducing, you know, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And like, Oh, the fine arts, you know, he's great. And then you knew one of the guys because he was like, uh, he turned down your, or repossessed your car or something like that. Yeah, and I think they repossessed after, my car. Yeah, you and that was the, him. that was kind of one of the, the uh, B or C stories. And then yeah. I had to go vouch for him. Right. I think it was supposed to be Arliss that vouched for him. Exactly. Arliss couldn't do it. Couldn't do it, right. And I said, no, no, I got this. I got, right. I got and he um, was like so impressed with you, Stanley, after the first guy. And yeah. then you just ruined it for him. <laughs> And Stanley's looking at me going, yeah. and Ra uh, Michael and I got up the first couple of years, the first three right. years, I got a lot of stuff to do with Sandra. Right. And then I, I think what happened was, is Robert went, mm, why, why am I giving all this good stuff with Jim and Sandra? I, I think I'm going to steal Sandra. Right. Uh, um, 
and then Michael and I got stuff to do. And it was, both of them were really fun. I mean, it yeah. was really fun to be, to completely fuck up whatever Michael was trying to do. Right. With the new car he got and he dented in the parking lot because he took the yeah. two spots. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> yeah. Now did, um, like did, did uh, Robert ever think about kind of reviving it? I mean, because every show is being revived now. Has that, that ever been brought up? Uh, I think I think there might have been talk about it because right. they um, they they didn't used to have us on like HBO Max. Right, all that you're on stuff. there now, yeah. And then they finally put it on, and I think it did so well that there there was talk, but it was brief. Oh, I would true. do it. Michael would right. do it. I I doubt if Sandra would do it. Yeah, she's big now, <laughs> big time. <laughs> she's a big star. Yeah. Cover of Time magazine. Right now, right. Are you gonna are you working on anything now? Uh, now, um, after the last year, I honestly I kind of retired. I started getting okay. my pension as soon as I could. Right. Um, my SAG pension, and I got Social Security, and I got Medicare, and I kind of went. You know what? Great. I'm kind of. That's. I don't need to get crazy about auditioning or all yeah. that stuff. If something comes along, great. Not. Right. And I did an audition in May for the Righteous Gemstones. Okay. And I'd never seen it because I don't have HBO anymore. And I did this Zoom audition and I got the part. A month later, I got the part. Oh, great. And so I got HBO. I bought HBO and started watching Righteous Gemstones yeah. and went, holy shit, this thing is great. Right. I love the show. I mean, I love this show. And I'm in two episodes. I just went and filmed one last week in South Carolina. And I, I'm in it. I'm the stepdad. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's this guy, BJ, um, who goes out with Judy, who is one of the, one of the kids of right. John Goodman. And Judy is hysterical. Maybe my favorite character in the show. She is just nuts and bj is pretty nuts and they have a sick funny relationship so i play his stepdad and he, they get married but they also i'm going back in a few weeks to do another episode where we go to his his uh, uh baptism okay and we're okay. we're atheists and you know, we tell, we were sitting with John Goodman during the, during the baptism. And he says, well, do you get, you want to jump in? Oh, no, 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 yeah. no, we're, we're secular. And, um, and it's, it's really funny um, watching them shoot it. The end, we, we got to watch them shoot the last scene of the last episode of the second year. Okay. And it's, it's Danny McBride and uh, <clears throat> and Judy and and um, Kelvin, and they all come down. We're in this giant, like coliseum, and we're sitting in the front row in the pew, front pew, and we got to watch them do this over and over and over. And there were really no dialogue. We're just kind of right. responding to what yeah. we're seeing and looking at our son, going, "What happened to you? Why are you?" Because he's like. Yeah. This is great, great <laughs> actor, Tim Balls. Oh, my God. So funny. And um, 
I told them all, this is like I'm, I somehow stumbled onto the set of the British office right. and, and I'm in the show and I don't know how that happened. This is so great. That's awesome. I just love it. I love the show. Yeah. And the same, the same week that I got that, uh, I got a text message from Penn Jillette, who um, he and this, this woman that, uh, that it, there's, a, there's a couple in Texas that built a theater like Brooklyn in their house okay. in Dallas, Texas. And they owned a company called Gearbox, which is a gaming company, right. which they just sold for a lot of money. And they're producing a movie right now based on one of their games called Borderlands. Right. And um, I, we got a text message from Penn one day. And it's, uh, hey, Penn, uh, hey, Mark, hey, Jim. Mark Fried, my buddy. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Clowntown City Limits. And so is Christy. We're sitting here in Budapest. And uh, we're doing the movie. We're doing the Clowntown movie. Just so you know start thinking about what it's going to be so we're doing that oh wow it's awesome and because christy can basically produce it by herself right. we don't have to go to a studio and pitch it and if you watch clown town city limits i can send you the live show of clown town city limits so oh, please. um yeah. it, it it's the most uncommercial thing in the world right there is and of all the things that me and Mark and Dave and Craig do, it is the least commercial. And it's also one of our favorite things. It's really funny. It's really dark. And um, we, we brought in a writer to, to work with us on it. And um, we're writing the movie. Oh, that's awesome. Can't wait to see that. Yeah, that's great. Now I'll leave it at that. You mentioned uh, like, going back and watching you know, Righteous Gemstones and absolutely loving it. Was there ever like a role that you got, went back to watch the show and you didn't like the show? No, I don't really. I, I tend to not watch the shows I'm on. Right. Um, okay. Every once in a while, I'll watch an episode. I, I haven't seen all the Arliss episodes. Um, though now when I see them again, uh, I like them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm really happy. Um, I did a show in um, Salt Lake City called Granite Flats. Yeah, that's right. And, and uh, it was produced by BYU TV. Brigham Young University produced yeah. this TV show that was really weird. Like, it took place in 1962. And I played a doctor who was giving LSD to... MK Ultra. It was okay. part of the MK Ultra thing where right. the CIA gave right. LSD to army soldiers without telling them to study what effect it had on them. <laughs> and I'm doing that. And yet I'm a good guy in it, but a good confused guy. And me and my wife are both the doctors and charging, you know, GIs, the LSD and then watching them. Um, and the guy who wrote those, John Plummer, John Christian Plummer, is the guy that I convinced everybody to hire to the, to do the Clown Town City Limits movie. Oh, wow. Um, and that's another 
the, that I, I've seen most of those, but not all of them. Yeah. Um, and I like watching them more for everybody else. I just like watching everybody else's stuff. Right. Me, I tend to go, oh God, Jim. Oh God. What did you do? What are you doing? Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. Why didn't somebody tell me to tone it down? Why didn't somebody tell me to beef it up? Right, right. Well, they probably liked it. That's why they didn't say anything to you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they didn't say anything because he'll be different this time. Right. Yeah. The, the, be, yeah. This take will be different than that one because that's what Jim does. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but Jim, I really appreciate your time today. Good, good luck with the project. And I really want to see that. Thank you. And a special thanks to Jim for joining me. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first and one nine, or like the page Living My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes, not a problem. Show can be heard on SoundCloud, Podbean, Spotify, wherever you can find our podcast. A new episode comes out every week. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you then.